I uh, saw Wren leave just a minute ago. I don't know if she's, she's okay? Sick? Okay. Let, let's just stop and pause and pray for her and anybody else that's sick this morning. Father, um, we know sometimes um, our bodies don't function the way we want them to and whatever the cause, if it was a drop of blood sugar or some illness for Wren that... Um, she was feeling weak and sick just a minute ago and had to leave. We ask your healing hand upon her and her family. Father, uh, others as well that uh, may feel that way this morning. We just ask you to strengthen us. Um, make us whole again. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your word or open your device to Romans 7. We're looking at verses 1 through 13 of God's word this morning. Very important passage of Scripture dealing with the law of God, um, greatly uh, neglected, perhaps dismissed or misunderstood. Romans 7, let me read it for you. The first 13 verses, hear God's Word. Do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the Lord, law, excuse me, to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death to me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful." God's Word is sometimes complicated and difficult, and I think this is one of those passages. People sometimes read it and look at it and say, what in the world's going on? I, we're supposed to know the law or not know the law? Is the law good? Is the law bad? Am I free from it? Am I under it? It just seems to be weaving back and forth all the way through the passage. Um, consequently, some people have, have just latched on to this phrase, we're no longer under the law, we're under grace, and they dismiss it. 
As a matter of fact, the three largest churches in America in the recent several years have all had preachers or made statements regarding not needing the law of God. Um, two of those mega churches, largest churches in America, are within two hours of us. One's in our town, one's uh, beyond us. I mean, this is, this is where we live. We live where we've got thousands of people around us saying, we're not under law. We're under grace. We're unhitched from the law. We don't need the law of God anymore. We, that's in our past. Now we just live with grace. Now that sounds all good except for this very emphatic statement. And this is not the only place it's in the Bible. But look again at verse 12. So then the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That's an extremely emphatic statement. You just can't say, I'm going to do away with the law. The law is holy. What, what else is described in, in such a manner? The law of God is holy, righteous, and good. What else do you know fits that category? I mean, it's, it's God. God is holy, righteous, and good. And the law of God is described with the same characteristics as God himself, which would make sense since the law of God is the very word of God. It comes out of God. It comes out of the mouth of God. The law is holy. It's righteous. And it's good. We started our service with that glorious psalm. How blessed is the man whose delight, he delights in the law of God day and night. Why would you want somebody to delight in the law day and night? Because it's holy. It's righteous. It's good. So to just dismiss it or ignore it or say we don't need it, that's much... I mean, it's just dangerous to, to walk away from what has been described by God Himself as holy and righteous and good. So what he's saying here, what, what's, you know, what do we do with it? Let's review the context for just a minute. Uh, you go back in chapter 6, verse 1, should we sin? Absolutely not. We should live lives consistent with the law of God. You get to verse um, 15, 16, 17, we looked at last week, we actually become slaves of righteousness. We're passionate about what is righteous. How will we follow as slaves of righteousness without righteous guidelines, the righteous law? How do we turn from sin without turning to what is holy and righteous and good? So if you go back and think about the context, chapter 6, leading into chapter 7. Well, that makes sense. Well, go back even one further. Go back to chapter 5, because I think the reason we misunderstand chapter 7 is we don't let the whole book of Romans kind of flow for us. Look chapter um, 5, verse 12, key verse. Therefore, just as through... One man, and we talked about the one man being Adam. Just as through the one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sin. Key passage. We are all sinners, born in sin. That sin passed to us, through Adam, to us. 
and we all sin. Now, if we understand we all sin, but then he says, get chapter 6. Well, should we sin? No. Matter of fact, we should be slaves of righteousness. And we need to know how to stay on track with righteousness, and we do so with the law of God. Uh, so we need to keep the law of God. Then he gives us an illustration. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. An illustration about something we really already know, and that is we know we're under law in certain sense. We know the law of God is good and holy and righteous. He gives us this illustration about a woman married twice. She's married the first time, and she's not having a good marriage. The marriage is actually miserable. And she would love to be free from that marriage and out of that marriage, but she knows she's bound to marriage by law. And that the only way she could be free from this miserable man is that he would die. And he gives the illustration, well, if he dies, we all know she is then free to marry someone else without being an adulteress. If she just leaves him and goes and sleeps with someone else, she's an adulteress. But if she waits for the law of marriage to render him dead, then she's free from that law and free to remarry, and her life can be wonderful. It's a great illustration. We miss what's going on here because we sometimes forget that's what it is. It's an illustration. He's illustrating the church. He's illustrating you and me. The woman in the illustration is the church. She's the believer. So since we're the woman in this illustration, who is the husband? And that's why I wanted to take you back to chapter 5, verse 12. The husband is sin. Let's just call him Mr. Sin, okay? The husband is our sin nature. And what he's trying to illustrate is we are married from, from birth. We're married to Mr. Sin. But if Mr. Sin dies, things change for the better. They change for the good. Now I'm free from my marriage to Mr. Sin. I'm free to marry another. Who's the another? It comes clear right after the illustration in verse 4. Verse 4 says... Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that's Christ, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So what I'm trying to illustrate is death to sin, we've been talking about it for two weeks, death to the power of sin, death to the practice of sin, death to Mr. Sin gives you freedom to be married to Christ. And married to Christ, he's going to go to show, does that mean we throw out the law? No, 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 no. We're ta not talking about that law here. He's using several laws here in, um, throughout this passage, and I think that's why uh, we get confused with it. He's talking about the, the law of marriage in the illustration. But it's, it's just an illustration. It's the law we all understand. Whenever we uh, go to a, a wedding, whether it's our, uh, our justice to peace, and make our vows... Typically, the vows are, you know, I do until death do us part. 
We're saying these vows, it's a binding law of the land that when we wed, when we get married to one another, we will be faithful to one another unto death. Well, that's the illustration. He says, when the death occurs, you're free to marry another. Now, he's not, could you be free before that by divorce? Yeah, the death of the marriage can happen by divorce too, but that's not his point. And some, I, I, was, I was sharing this with, with a lady once that just, she just missed the point. And I just had to tell her, you, you're just missing the point. She says, my husband was an adulteress. He, was, he had an affair. He ran off. Uh, he divorced me. He left and he married somebody else. I wish I could marry somebody else. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, I can't marry somebody else until he dies because of Romans 7. I said, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're missing the point. This is an illustration. It's, it's not saying you can't remarry. It's saying you can remarry when the marriage you currently have has died. But the marriage he's talking about is our marriage to sin. And the only way to divorce sin is to have it crucified, to have it killed. And only Christ can kill sin in you and me. So he uses the illustration of death here, not divorce. Makes more sense. But don't, don't miss the illustration part of it. Once that marriage is gone, then we're married to Christ, and he's going to bring back up, and that doesn't throw out the law. Matter of fact, it's, it's just plain from the illustration. When you get remarried, you don't throw out law. The person who gets remarried here continues to use law, the law of marriage, for the next marriage. It's until death do his part. So the law's not abrogated. The law's not thrown out. The law's used in a rightful way. That's what the illustration's about. And he's trying to get us to this place that we understand the law, our marriage to Satan, our marriage to sin, to its power and to its practice has died in Christ so that we can now be joined to another. And that new marriage, that marriage in Christ changes everything. The old marriage has ceased. It's done with. Um, Divorce from sin, divorce from Adam, so that we're free to marry Christ. Now, that gets us to verse 5. So while we're in the flesh, what's he talking about in the flesh? The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear the fruit of death. Does it mean our physical flesh has died? No, 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 no. Again, talk, using spiritual language. In the flesh, meaning in the flesh of Adam. Back to chapter 5. When we were... In Adam, in this sinful nature, uh, the sinful passions, they became aroused. When anybody would bring up the law, we knew we were sinful then. It became clear we were sinful then. Um, verse 6, but now we have been released from the law of marriage to Adam, our sin nature, that's how he's using it. We've been released from the law, having died to that, by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of spirit and not oldness of letter. Think about that. We still serve, and we serve now in newness of spirit. Go back to the uh, miserable marriage. When you're in a miserable marriage... 
because of an unfaithful spouse, the faithful spouse continues to serve. But it's just kind of miserable a lot of times. And there's times when there's just no heart in it. You know, I'm going to be faithful to my vows. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, whether I'm a husband or a wife. I have duties, and I'm going to do them. But without heart, it's miserable. And then he says, that marriage dies, and then we are married to Christ. And now that we're married to Christ, guess what? We're still doing the same duties. We're still serving But now we're serving with spirit. Now we're serving with heart. Now it's fun. Now we get to. Now we like it. But our duties didn't go away. We serve now with a new spirit. A new heart in Christ. And that's that's the beauty and wonder of this relationship that he's talking about. Um, Same duties, new heart. Same duties, new marriage. Marriage to Christ. Instead of marriage to sin and the joy that brings. Verse 7. So, what shall we say? Is the law sin? No. Pay attention. He said, I'm trying to show you how death to sin leads us to a wonderful service to Christ. That the life in Christ is amazing grace. Now we serve with spirit. Now we serve with heart. But we still serve. We're slaves to righteousness. We love serving. It's fun to serve when we're serving a loving master. And that master is Christ. So he doesn't want us to write the law off. Verse 7. So he brings it up again. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? No. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. The law is a tool. It's a blessing. Um, He says, I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So Paul is saying, you know, think about Paul. He was pretty lawful. He was known as a righteous Pharisee. He says, he says, I kept the letter of the law. But then somebody pointed out that one of the laws of God was coveting. And when coveting was pointed out to him then he says that revealed sin in me like nothing else because we can keep the law we can do things externally it's hard sometimes to see somebody's heart you know i i can i can come here i can come to church on sundays and worship i can keep my mouth from profaning i can keep the sabbath day holy from external purposes you can see it you know i i can honor my mom and dad i i can go you can go through the list of the law of god not commit adultery not commit murder not lie not steal and most people say you know he's a lawful he's he's he, he loves the law he keeps it but then comes coveting thou shall not covet he says when the law told me that i knew in my heart i wanted things God didn't give me, and I coveted them. I wanted a diff- maybe a different station in life. I wanted to be someone else. I wanted something. I was not a contented person, and I had much coveting in my heart. Paul says, it just opened up how sinful I really was. This law reveals that. The law's not sin. It exposes sin. The law's holy, righteous, and good. It exposes the sin That was in his life. Verse 8. So sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. 
It's like it's just revealing, it's just showing it of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, I died. It's like I, I, I knew when, when I saw the commandment, when I saw the law, that I was a sinner. And I needed what? I need death to sin. The law shows me that. Verse 10, and this commandment which was to result in life proved to result in death for me. And I was, the wages of sin is death. It just produced death in me. The more I saw the law, it showed me my deterioration. It showed me I was headed to eternal damnation. That wasn't good. Verse 11, for sin taking an opportunity through the commandment deceived me. And through it killed me. It just kills me when you, when you finally get under the weight and guilt of knowing not only have I broken one commandment, thou shalt not covet. When you really focus on it, you begin to see, I really wasn't content to wholly worship first commandment. I only worshiped for what I would get. So you were sinning, breaking the first commandment. Second commandment. I, you know, I reinvented God in my image instead of worshiping Him in His image, breaking the second commandment. Third commandment, I only cleaned up my speech you know, to make it look like I was righteous, but in my heart I had many vile words, breaking the third commandment. And the fourth commandment, you just go through the list, coveting, you begin to see the law begins to expose you as extremely uh, self-centered. Why? Because that's the way we're born. We're born self-centered. We're born in sin. Paul says it exposed me. And the more it exposed me, the more I, I realized it's crushing me. It's killing me. There's no way I am going to be able to use the law of God to stand before God and be acceptable to Him. The law of God is not a tool for salvation. Christ is our Savior. Christ is the only one who redeems. The law does not redeem. But the law exposes the sin in our hearts and our need for Christ. And Paul is saying that's what happened. So, so for that reason, verse 12, so then, when you get it, you see the law's holy. And the commandments, they are holy and righteous and good. They don't do anything but help. Get us to Christ. Show us our death in sin and our need to be unhitched from sin, not unhitched from the law. Unhitched from sin and married to Christ. So we throw out the law? No. It's holy. It's righteous. And it's good. Um, you know, there being so many thousands of people that... Um, want to throw out the law of God that people who are professing themselves to be Christians. We're seeing it on television. We're seeing it by famous preachers. I just want to spend some time. I want to take pastoral privilege, basically, on this subject and just focus here a little bit. I mean, we've got people who are saying, I am a Christian, but it's okay if I go and hook up with someone and have sex and because... It's all good. I'm under grace. God will forgive me. Don't call me an adulterer. Don't call me an adulterer. It's all good. I'm under grace. Like, you're not using the law of God to keep you 
from that sin, you're dismissing the law of God and doing what's right in your own eyes. The law of God is to keep us from doing what's right in our own eyes, to do what's holy, to do what's righteous, to do what's good. And so let's just take a few more moments. So I usually kind of wind things up here, but this morning, I don't know what you paid for coming here, but you're going to get two for one, okay? I, I, I want to kind of say, okay, that's what Romans 7, 1 through 13 says to us. But it makes this emphatic statement, the law is holy and righteous and good. So let's just stop and ask the question, why? Why is the law so holy and righteous and good? And let's get to a place where we can embrace it more and, and, and get to the application of Psalm 1 verse 2. My delight is in the law of the Lord. In it I meditate day and night. And I'll be like a tree firmly planted that flourishes in its season. That's what we want to be. So I, this is just my thoughts. These don't come out of this text. It comes as I was thinking about Scripture and just meditating. God, show me why. And I want to give you six reasons. Six reasons why the law is holy and righteous and good. Number one, because it shows us what pleases God. It just shows us what pleases God. Christ is our Redeemer. God is our God. And He has killed our sin, killed its power, killed its practice, redeemed us out of the miry pits, and set us and established us in this holy place, in this holy temple, to be His forever. We want to thank Him. I want to praise Him. How do I do that without the law of God? It shows me what excites Him. And what pleases him. So I use the law of God to give him praise. I use the law of God to thank him. To honor him. God, you have redeemed me. What can I do to thank you? Well, first thing you could do is you could just worship me. First commandment. Second thing you could do. Do it the way that pleases me. Don't invent some way. Do it in a way that makes me happy. It's like... Wow, I've got guidelines. Cool. The law of God shows me how to thank and please the God who has redeemed and loved me. So see the beauty of the law of God doing that for us. You can just walk through all the commands and see that these, these commands show us how to delight ourselves in God. Second, it shows us God's character. I already talked about that a little bit in the service. That God is the only one who's holy and righteous and good. The more you get into the law of God, the more you get into understanding the character of God. That He is holy. He's righteous. He is good. And what does God want to do but to conform us to the image of Christ? So the more you get into the law of God, the more you understand God's character, the more it begins to conform you, transforming you to become holy and righteous and Good. So it shows us the character of God. Uh, third, it shows us. Um, um, let me just let me just well, let's back up and do those two again. Just I just want to. Can you just go through the law of God and think about how it, it helps you love God, how it thank God, and how um, uh, it brings you into the character of God. The third commandment: There's no prof- He hates profanity. Blessed is the one who doesn't blaspheme, doesn't take the name of God in vain. He's holy. 
He doesn't want unholy lips in his church because he's holy, righteous, and good. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God, third commandment, out of the mouth of man, should be wholesome. Ephesians 4.29 should be good. You've heard mom and dad say to you, if you can't say something good, don't speak. It should be a good word. Why? That's the law of God. And that's because that's the way God is. That's the way God speaks. It shows us how to talk to God in our thanks to God. The, the fourth commandment, you, you think about it, just remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's like, God, I want to take at least one day out of seven every week and just rest with you. I just want to spend it together. Because you, you redeemed me. You loved me. You, you killed sin for me. Let, me. let me just spend time with you. You see, these commands are beautiful and wonderful. Don't let people snatch them from you. Oh, they show us God. They show us the character of God. Show us how to please God. It's a tool. Number three, it's a tool to show us Church, a church living in unity. Look at John 17 quickly, verses uh, 16 through 23. The unity passes, unity of, of Jesus praying uh, for unity in his church. John 17, verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How are we going to get become more holy? Through God's truth. As, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified, again, in truth. I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, just as we're one, and I in them, and you in me, and they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love me, even as you have loved me. Now, What's the world supposed to see there in verse 21? So that the world may believe that you sent me. The world is looking at the church and says, I want people in the world to see Christ. And the world's going to see Christ if they see the church sanctified. And how's the church sanctified? In the truth, or through the law of God being spoken. We become holy, and as we become holy, we become unified. And what's, what's the unifying principle? It's the truth that sanctifies it. It's doctrine. In other words, the world doesn't see Christ when we just get out there in the world and start talking about our church. They see us in love with our church. And the world doesn't see Christ when we get out there and just start talking about a denomination. They see us particularized into groups and not really unified at all. But the world sees Christ when we get out there and we talk about how we are one, that we have one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one Bible, one truth, one standard of doctrine. And the world can see that because they see you over there, you act just like that person over there. Why is that? Well, it's because we have the same law, the same standard that we live by. We look like one another because we're becoming to look more and more like Christ because we have the same book that we're following, the same standard. The law of God shows the world unity. And we're not revealing unity to the world today because we're abandoning the law. It's getting back to the law of God and understanding it's not bad for us. It's holy, it's righteous, it's good. It shows us Christ, shows us how to please Him, shows us character, shows us the principles for our unity. Number four, it provides freedom both to glorify and enjoy God. Why are you here? To glorify and enjoy Him forever. You know, that's our chief reason for existence, to glorify and enjoy Him forever. Well, how do you do that? How do you glorify and enjoy Him apart from the law of God? You don't know. The law of God, again, tells us how to glorify and enjoy Him. God, how can I glorify you? Well, for, let's go back through the commandments again. First commandment, you glorify me by stopping to worship. And you start going through being faithful to your spouse. Being, the, the, take the fifth commandment. Take any other commandment. How do you glorify Him? God says in the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Do you understand, God says, I have given you an authority structure. And that authority structure keeps you from chaos. If you will understand how to obey and honor mom and dad, you'll understand how to obey and honor me. And I will delight in you because I've created marriage and I've created family and all of that's going to give me honor and glory. And you've asked how to glorify me, how to enjoy me. I take such delight in you when you have your family devotions and you honor your father and mother and listen to them as they teach and instruct. You see, think about the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt into the promised land. When did they get the law of God? The law of God was not given to them so that they could get to the promised land. The law of God is not given to us so that we can get to heaven. It's not given to us to earn anything. The law of God was given to them after they were in the promised land. They've been redeemed out of Egypt. Well, they're not quite in the promised land yet. They're in Sinai. But it's, it's afterwards. It's after they've been redeemed, after they've cut off the Egyptians who were their taskmasters. After all of that, and they're wanting to say, how can we thank Him? How can we be the holy people of God. How can we glorify and enjoy Him? That's when God gives the Ten Commandments. They weren't principles to earn righteousness. They aren't today either. But they are God's rules to keep us as God delights in us, as His church, instead of seeing the law of God as restrictions, see it as God guardrails. Have you ever been on a mountain road and you see that guardrail as you're going around the curve? Do you ever look at the guardrail and say, I wish they hadn't put that restriction there. You know, I could fly right off if I wanted to if they didn't have that. Yeah, right. See how that works. No, the guardrail keeps you on the path. 
And the law of God, that's all it's doing is it's guiding us. It's directing us to what's holy and right and good. You don't throw it off. It's not a restriction at all. It's a beauty. It's, it's, it's a privilege. It's a tool for God's holiness and righteousness and goodness. It helps us to glorify and enjoy God. It, it helps us to stay free in our pursuit of pleasing God. Number five, it gives us specific ways to speak God's love language. This is such a strong passage. And uh, let me just, just take you to it. John 14. John 14, verse 15. Those people who say, well, I, I don't need the law of God. I say, well, then you obviously don't need Jesus. But I need Jesus greatly, so I need the law of God to help me love him. John 14, verse 15. It says, this is Jesus speaking. If you've got a red letter edition, I don't like them, but I've got one. But uh, it's all in red, okay? That means Jesus is speaking. If you, and he says, if you love me, you will, what? Keep my commandments. Do you love him? And yet you don't need the law? You don't need the commandments? He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Down in verse 21, same chapter. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Wow, what a powerful statement. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and will make our abode with him. This is Jesus' love language, folks. Do you love me? Keep my laws. Keep my commandments. And if you do that, if you delight in the law of God day and night, if you keep my law, if you keep my commandments, wow, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to introduce you to the Father, and we're both going to disclose ourselves to you, and we're going to delight in one another. What a wonderful experience. And it only comes by knowing the law of God. Chapter 15, same book, verse 10. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You keep God's law. You don't just get into the love of God. You just don't have the love of God poured out on you for a moment or an experience. You start keeping the commandments and you're just there. Dwelling in God's love day in and day out. And everything is holy and righteous and good in that experience that we have with God. Abiding in His love. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, once you're there dwelling in that relationship with God, you, you, you start making this statement that's found here in John 15. Of, you know, apart from Him, I can do nothing. I have found now that I'm in the presence of God through the law of God I just want to be there. I can't do nothing but this. This is life. This is glorious. And it's interesting, too. He says, uh, you keep his commandments. Why? Because it says, he says, just as I kept the commandments. Throw out the law. You throw out Jesus. Jesus loved the law. Jesus 
kept the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus lived the law. How can you possibly say, as a follower of Christ, I follow Christ and nullify the law of nullify the law of God for a life of grace? You can't, because Christ didn't nullify the law. He loved it. He obeyed it. He lived it. He used it. Be like Christ. It gives us specific ways to be like Christ and speak the love language. And number six, why, why um, is the law holy, righteous, and good? It gives us the body of instruction necessary for the next generation. We want to be the church, right? What's the commandment given to the church? What is the great commission? You can turn to it, Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. The disciples gathered the last Days after the resurrection of Christ, they worship God, and Christ says at that moment, all authority has been given in heaven and earth to me, and so I want you to go into every ethnic group, and I want you to make disciples, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then what's the last thing he says, and I want you to teach them every single commandment. I want you to teach them the commandments that I have given you. That's, how do you be the church? How do we raise up a new generation if we don't honor this commission given to the church? And the commission to go to the church, the go is the easy part. He was just saying, don't make distinctions now, you Jews. Every ethnic group needs to hear this. Every ethnic group needs to be made disciples of Christ. Baptism is the sacrament of union. It needs to be united to Christ as you are united to Christ. Okay, well, since I'm not restricted, I can go to my neighbor and I can talk to them about union to Christ. What do I say? He says, teach them the commandments. He doesn't say, well, you know, you don't teach them anything now because you're not under law, you're under grace doesn't say that. He says, teach them everything whatsoever I have commanded you. So we need to be the church, and being the church requires us to know the law of God. Um, be a parent, not just the church. You know Deuteronomy 6, right? Verses 1 through 9. That's key passage for you who are parents. A parent who says, God, thank you for this precious child. You're holding your newborn daughter or son in your arms. Thank you, God, for this. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do now that I've been given this precious gift? And in Deuteronomy 6, you, you have the answer to that. It says, teach them that there's only one God. There's only one true God. And spend time with your daughter or your son, whether you're rising up from bed, whether you're going down at night, whether you're walking by the way, spend time teaching them the commandments of God. Why? Because the commandments are holy and they're righteous and they're good. What should we say then? Is law sin? May it never be. What shall we say then? Throw out the law? No. It's holy. 
It's righteous, and it's good. Let's pray together. Father, it's so easy for us to get off track. Satan is so good a tempter. And if he can get us ignoring or dismissing the law of God, the word of God, then the commission of the church does not get fulfilled. Families fall apart. Marriages don't work. We go off track to death and destruction. Father, draw us back, not to a a slavery to law, but a slavery to righteousness, to a slavery to Christ, back to a marriage with one who is our Redeemer, who's united us to himself and his law. Father, forbid us from getting distracted. Help us to see how glorious it is to no longer be condemned by the law, but having the law of sin and death crushed so that we can go free and live with a new spirit and a new heart. Father, for those in this room that just are still in utter confusion, let them see Christ. The only way out of this darkness is just to run to Christ. Lord, help us to receive you, to be drawn by you, uh, that we can live for you all our days. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time to be in what is holy and righteous and good. Amen.